0: Welcome back to another episode of Unscripted Exchanges. Hayden, I am absolutely fired up tonight. We uh, have a guest on here, Jonathan Levine. He is an entrepreneur. He's got a PhD. The dude's been all over the world speaking about sustainability, manufacturing. Uh, He's the CEO of a company called Folia Materials. Uh, I don't want to butcher exactly what they do because they got their hands in a lot of things, but I will say that uh, I met Jonathan a few years ago through my work with Parity Water and the and the sustainable water uh, and aquaculture uh, industry, and he has been been doing nothing but changing the way we look at paper products. Uh, and I'm just really excited to have you all here, man. Thanks for having me. Did I do a good job with that introduction? I don't know. Like I felt like I was gassing you up enough. Like there's so much more I could have said, but I hope you I hope you like that.
1: I I we we shared something in common. I have in fact lived in Cincinnati for several months. No way. When? Yeah. We we lived there in 2018 for a few months. Okay. Really? What yeah, what right, part right, of town right were about, you in? Right about let's see. So six years ago, we would have been walking through the Gaslight District to get some uh, some graders. Walking through okay. the graders right about now. Yep. Still one of our all-time favorite ice cream spots. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yes,
0: yes. Graters is a hometown ha- hometown hero We'll favorite. have to send you some Graters after the show. Wait, you know? what about Ooh. Skyline, too? Oh, we could send them some canned Skyline. Do you like Skyline? Do you ever have that? Yeah?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The city, Cincinnati cleans, of course. Uh, the Cincinnati Clans, <laughs> is that what you said?
0: <laughs> oh, that's funny.
1: That's funny, man.
0: So it sounds like thumbs up to graders. maybe thumbs down to Skyline.
1: I'm still a fan.
0: Okay. All right. enough. (laughs) I mean, dude, you're getting ready for the beach. You just throw some skyline in the, (laughs) throw throw some skyline in the oven and you're good to go. Skyline dip, man. That's a cleanse. They're full colon cleanse. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. I actually, uh, I actually did. uh, Have you ever done skyline dip? I know we're getting off. Have you ever done skyline dip before? No. Oh my. Okay. We're, we're packaging it up. I sent some, I have a client out in Kansas city and we sent a four pack of skyline till. And I sent her the skyline dip recipe. You had that before, haven't you? No, oh, it's delicious. Unbelievable. I, I mean, I mean, you, you know, it's like probably fifteen thousand calories a serving, but it's abso- It's like absolutely worth it. So, um, anyways, I don't know how we got on that out oh, because you lived in Cincinnati, well, uh, Cincinnati. but we're, we're man, we're just excited to have you
1: on here. Cool. Thanks for having me. Are, are you guys based in Cincinnati or Dayton? We're in Cincinnati. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, so
0: I wanted to kick it off as we're getting into this and give you the opportunity, uh, Jonathan, to tell us a little bit about Folia Materials. I think you mentioned Folia Worldwide or Folia Global as well. I'd love to just kind of let you talk about, you know, what Folia Mater- Materials is, uh, Folia Global, and just maybe, you know, give us a high level view of, of why you started uh, started that business and got into that.
1: Yeah, they, um my my wife and co-founder's PhD was uh, inventing a kind of paper that makes clean drinking water. And then somebody goes and makes a whole advertisement about her as NGO and she becomes world famous. It gets her, her 15 months of fame, like BBC Most Read, Time Magazine, Invention of the Year, the whole thing. Which, which by the way, it turns up in entrepreneurship land, that's not uncommon. It, it turns out that's one of the patterns is some PhD oh. invented a thing. It gets picked up by the media. There's a whole lot of attention. All of a sudden, you're like, hey, wait a minute, there's enough going on. So we get pulled in. What we learned is the pattern is we got pulled into the market, right? We end up getting flown to China, meeting Coca-Cola there, meeting Unilever China. Terry's a paid celebrity for Unilever China in 2016. And and so like we get pulled into 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 having this. Like, All right, what does a full-time gig look like? We learn about social enterprise. We learn about impact and, and sort of the for-profit you know, we're a couple scientists. So we learn, we start to learn all the business model theory and all this kind of stuff. And, and it starts as this 20 cent, 20 liter water purifier. Okay. So it's fully water. We, we then, as we get into it, go, the stuff that people are saying doesn't, doesn't line up because because we're, we're two things at the same time. We're an invention around paper chemistry and green chemistry. So my PhD is carbon sequestration. My wife's PhD is green chemistry. And using how do you use paper? So Canadian government wanted to know. Canadian government, Canadian paper industry said, "How do we take you know trees, paper? How do we do something more value at right? Those are declining industries. How do we do something more valuable?" So that's Terry's PhD at McGill. She goes and invents this kind of paper. I said, "Well, we're a technology company, right? It's a chemistry thing." But but it's got a use case that goes and creates a new product, it creates a new market, it creates a new category. And we have to go 100 years back to Procter & Gamble and to Unilever and to Clorox for these iconic companies. Well, all of them have these material sciences inventions. Mm-hmm. Right? Procter & Gamble is some of the most patents of any company on the planet. But but people think of it as like this mass market consumer goods company. But but the R&D function there is through the roof, right? Same – and. So we realized, OK, we've got an invention, which is a hammer, and we've got a, a use case, which is a nail, which is the water filter. And so Folio Materials is the technology use case. The water filter gets spun out as Folio Water Global. is on sale in 2000 stores in Bangladesh. We have a Bangladeshi CEO who's a serial CEO. He's, he's a consumer goods, you know, sort of the he's expertish American tobacco, which is, you know, the, the Procter & Gamble global equivalent. Right. So he's an expert in consumer goods. And so he leads the commercialization expert in South Asia for mass one. marketing and goods. And then now we've got this materials company and we get pulled over to, to microwave food packaging by one of the, the top five frozen food companies. And now, by the way, we're contacting the same kinds of packaging firms that are in Cincinnati because they make they, right. it's all the same thing. Right. Right. So we were in Cincinnati to learn what there was to know about what Procter & Gamble had done 20 years earlier. And so we moved to Cincinnati in 2018 to learn what had been done in Procter and Gamble in 1999 to 2001. Okay, and that was why we moved there. The only way to find out what had happened 20 years earlier was to move there for three months and find the people who did the work 20 years earlier, which we did, and we talked. That isn't
0: that awesome. It's fascinating. It, it absolutely is. Well, there's a lot, a lot. Obviously, Jonathan, the jump to jump to to jump in there. Um, the f- the first question I'm gonna ask this is probably not what you would have thought I was gonna ask with her about you, but was it a surreal feeling when all of a sudden you went from you know it was just this this like you said your wife's her wife's PhD product like right, PhD uh p- a project and yeah. all of a sudden you guys are like you know you're you're becoming famous right she's becoming famous she's all over
1: the place. It, was it like surreal? I mean, what did that feel like? What were you thinking in that moment? T- Terry gets off the plane in China at one point and she said, There's all these lines of people, they want to take photos with me and they they want my they want my signature on paper. And and like three days in a row, she's like, They want they want photographs with me and they they want you know, and she she's super introverted. She she's quiet and she's like, All these people are, you know, they keep coming around me and like like they want my signature. And I'm like Terry, are you signing a contract? Like check? Like what? What are you signing? He's like, you know, it's pieces of paper, and, and they want, they want. I'm like Terry, those are called selfies, and those are called autographs. <laughs> so, 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 so the story goes viral. It's number one, so, so the the Terry goes to American Chemical Society meeting, presents at the chemistry meeting her stuff. Mm-hmm. There's a a BBC reporter who's got a PhD from Oxford who does a fabulous job, writes up a great story. It ends up like we're at a bar, at a speakeasy in Boston, because you know it's, it's what you, as one does. And then one of her friends uh, texts her, and she's like, "Hey, you're on you're on the BBC." She's like, "Oh, cool! The thing must have come out, right?" Like you think, like, ah, it's gonna be in the science section or something," right? Right? Like, you know, your story's in the front page of BBC News, wow. and we're like, "Holy crap!" So we look, and then it goes from being like number ten most most read. Which definitely deserved a round. I mean, it was a slamming cocktail at the speakeasy, right? Right. And so then, like, it climbs the ladder. Like, when it hits like number five or number three most red, we definitely have to get another round, you know. Now, when it hit number one most red, we had had several rounds because <laughs> <laughs> we're like, holy smokes, right? Terry's number one most read on BBC News, like that's right. So we wake up the next morning, and and phones over there, Terry's over there, they're calling. Who's they? The BBCs. There's more than one. Three different parts of the BBC were calling to interview her again. She ends up in Time Magazine, and like, so yeah, it was like we didn't know what to do, right? We're like, we're you know, like, so we got to like rush over to my my friend who's a professor at Northeastern, and like, we're like, hey, can we can we set up in your conference room or something? We got to Terry's got a call with, she's gonna be live on BBC World right now, <laughs> like, you know, like. She's like, you know, like, where, where do I put my hands for a for a video call? Like <laughs> BBC News, is about, like BBC World is going to have me on a video. She's like, where do I like, you know, like, how do I sit? Like, how, you know, like, what do I say? Like, yeah, no, super surreal. <laughs> but 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 you know what? Uh, Terry was really introverted. The reason she did it was she said no one will ever know about the invention. Otherwise, it'll it'll be some academic thing that no one ever hears about. Otherwise. Right. So so she. So, so, so my wife is as much as an entrepreneur as anybody, right? She was like, look, um, you know, this ad agency wanted to do a video about her. And she was like, yeah, we got to do it. And then, and then all this TV stuff that she was like, "Uh, it's nerve wracking to be on television. There's a TV, there's Klieg lights, there's all this kind of stuff. Right. she's super quiet. She's introverted. She's quiet. And she was like, I'm going to do it because otherwise no one will ever know.
0: Wow. And that's how it began. I mean, that's, that's how it began, right?
1: That's it. Yeah,
0: That's quite the story. And I, I'm loving everything that you're sharing there. I'm going to kind of take us in a slightly different direction. Um, I mean, it's all related. It sounds like Folia Materials, you have quite a few, um, or at least a couple of different product lines. Do you have like just personally a preference in the product line that most interests you or the one that's probably best performing? And definitely not looking for like specific numbers, but just out of curiosity you know it sounds like you've got a few different product lines which one do you like and which one's doing best would you speak to any of that
1: so so we've looked at probably 100 different ways of going to market we've looked at at least a dozen non-overlapping use cases i mean uh antiviral vacuum filter uh legionella in buildings uh you know all, all sorts of unusual things um because people would come to us and they're we were like well you're a you're a fifty billion dollar company if you want to write a check for that we could we would we would entertain uh right. <laughs> you, know, if you want, if you, want us, you want you want us to develop it like if you're gonna pay for us to do some patented work we, we'll we'll patent it and we'll we'll charge you money for us to do that we're we're open to that as a concept right you'll you'll buy a whole lot of it we you know we can do that um so look the original use case I'll, I'll come back to it in a second so we we got uh. 2018, we, we sort of methodically did this through plug and play. We looked at antiviral touch surfaces and things like that. We made antiviral tape at the start of COVID with a big company. We, we ended up making antiviral face masks because so we thought we were going to contribute to COVID. And so mm-hmm. my big disappointment was we made antiviral three-ply face masks that killed 99.97% of SARS-CoV-2 in one hour, got fully third-party tested, certified, approved in the United Kingdom, and went nowhere. Because apparently, better actual technical performing face masks was not in the cards. Politics was right. I mean, I mean, right. asking people to, to politely wear a mask turned out to be right. So that, that's the sort of negative side. Um, we got pulled over into microwave food packaging. Can uh, you like sit, said, can you repeat that again? What is it? Microwave food packaging.
0: Microwave food. Pa- okay.
1: So so we're at plug and play, and a, and a top five frozen food company says you solve the holy grail of what, what we do, what we're looking for. Like it's a 20-year problem, holy grail. And and, and I said, really? Uh, okay. And they're like, the metal in your paper, the microwaves are going to heat it and, and the metal is going to convert the microwaves into heat. And then the paper can soak up. You got a water filter. You can soak up and move the water and move the grease. And I was like, well, that, that second part is true. And, and I checked with Terry and I was like, oh, it turns out during her PhD, she used microwaves to do the synthesis. So it turns out she knew that was true. But what I actually told him at the time was, you're messing with me, using more colorful language. <laughs> it's like, great, you're a $50 billion company, and now, now, now you came to a startup event to mess with me. Like, you think I'm going to solve the holy grail of microwave food packaging. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so anyway, it turns out they were right. <laughs> <laughs> now, now you ask me, which do I care about more? Look, the, prob- the the big entrepreneurial challenge here is we do industrial manufacturing. So so one industrial roll of our paper. So it's a pallet wide. It's 40 inches. It's as tall as your shoulders or as your head height, depending on the size of roll. And we're talking about a million packages, right? So we're talking about, look, we, we could replace a billion packages packages or billions of packages with paper instead of plastic, right? Right it turns out startup land doesn't know about paper and doesn't really care about paper packaging Everybody talks about sustainable packaging but but we're we're, we're a niche and we're like oh yeah yeah no there's a billion dollars worth of this plastic microwave susceptor sold a year just just in microwave susceptors and then it's a niche and it's a billion units and you're like consumer consumer end products people get but so so but i don't care as much cuz it's it's a billion units of of paper instead of plastic a year but I care a lot more about a billion humans having clean, safe drinking water mm-hmm. than I do about – I have a PhD in earth and environmental engineering. But but I only did that for the human side, and the human side of actually solving the problem of drinking water, right. to me, is – that's why we get out of bed, that the part where we could have a billion paper, not plastic, and we'd have a lot less environmental pollution. I, no, I, I I, I got to tell you, uh, saving a billion people from safe drinking water sounds like uh, a bit more direct. But right. my, my round, my my lesser important one is uh, <laughs> it's still industrial. So you know. <laughs>
0: Well, it sounds, go ahead, you go ahead first. No, I mean, just hearing all that, that that totally makes sense. I mean, at the same time, it sounds like you do have a good moral compass, though, in terms of uh, thinking about providing, uh, you know, the most impact and, and value out there to the world. I wanted to kind of circle back real quick to one other call out that you had mentioned with you guys developing, you know, the face mask and for political reasons and probably other reasons too, didn't end up really turning out to be uh, you know, the the long-term move. How would you respond or what what advice would you give to people that either have products that don't ever fully go to market or go to market and then don't end up, you know, operating well in the long term? What what advice would you have to share around that? Yeah.
1: Here's, an anti- here's a box of antiviral face masks. Nice. For, for for six cents of face mask, we can make every single face mask in the world antiviral. Wow. Um, here's the N95 equivalent. It's just a prototype sitting in a drawer. Um, the look, the nature of a startup at like a theory level is there's supposed to be a new technology. And I think the key piece there is that the vast majority of so-called startups are not startups. Mm. Um, my 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 poor wife has to hear me complain every time the newspaper refers to Facebook as a startup.
0: Oh my word! Okay, I I've raised my hand. That
1: drives me absolutely nuts, dude. Or 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 when a software company is called a technology company. <laughs> right, right, I, totally. Just 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 hear me out here. Hear, hear me out here. Computer programming. Yeah, they they did that back in the 60s and 70s and even in the 80s. And um, hardware, same thing. Um, Do you know that best practices statistics also was done in the 70s and 80s? We call that AI machine learning-based enabled software-hardware hybrid now. And, And best practices, best practice statistical solutions is a thing. And that's all we mean when we say machine learning. And Train segmentation was a thing back in the eighties. Now we can get much better results. Now, but like
0: <laughs> they're so, just repackaging or rebranding it with some slightly different yeah. words, right, to make it sound like it's com- completely new. It's like no, some of those fundamental things have been around. It's just you know the way that they're they're marketing it and how they things.
1: Like very few AI and machine learning companies are technology companies. Mm. Most of them are operating entities that are going to utilize somebody else's best practices and go and execute on making a product and usually it's a software product and then they're going to make that into a business. And like, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But now you're just a a rapid growth, small business, a a, a small business has potential for rapid growth into a relatively new market. And it's just a relatively new market, which is why you can do that rapid growth. Mm -hmm. If it was mature, look, if I take, if I take AI and machine learning over into accounting software, presumably lots of people can do this. And if I happen to be early, I can grow quickly. But if I go 10 years out from now, why wouldn't people know how to do this? It's, right. This is what best practices software is that, right? So very few technology companies or technology companies. So there's something about a startup that makes it special. And it might be, hey, nobody is doing that. We're going to be the first one to do that business model. Um, there's a really neat, neat book called uh, Worthless, Impossible, Stupid. Uh, Dan Eisenberg, who's, who's over at Babson Entrepreneurship Program. And he talks about these people who are, who are doing category creations and one of them was multiplexes in Mexico. Okay. Really, Mexico had like the sticky floor single, single theater movies. And these guys were like, we're gonna have 15, uh we're gonna have 15 multiplexes, you know, a big multiplex with all the modern stuff. Hey, that's that is absolutely entrepreneurship. They were the first ones to do it in an entire country. Right? Um, Phone launched cell phones into Bangladesh and they they created the sort of the, the sim card, the, the little penny, you know, the, the super cheap ones, right? So, all those things are entrepreneurship. So, why do things fail? Things fail because the technology didn't work. Things fail because people, it turns out, weren't interested. And it, it turns out that right now, antiviral PPE and, and doing a better job actually dealing with that problem, right? Look, we're, we're post COVID. I still go to conferences, including public health conferences, and people still don't wash their hands. <laughs> Right before they eat, you're like you're in the middle of eating. You're shaking their hands. No one's washing their hands. So, you know, what can you do? It's a crazy world we live in. <laughs> well, I, what
0: what I think what I think is interesting, Jonathan, is is hearing your take on like, I mean, I, I knew you would have some some just really fresh perspectives on a few things, or 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 I would call them like you know, I would say I don't know super hot takes, but I mean, talking specifically about technology. I just think that was super interesting because, you know, to me, I think when we all these days, a lot of people think about technology, they truly do think about software, right, or hardware, or some sort of AI. They're thinking about something that's got to have like robotic arms, right, or it's got to have like something that you know that's on your phone. But, but I think robotic, technology is about advancement. What
1: robotic arms for 1970s? Yeah. What,
0: what I'm getting at, what I'm getting at, is that. I think technology and, and technology advancement and technology, um, you know, innovation is—is it so much just like a, phys- a phone or something that's actually working with electric. Like, it's not just that you can be you can be advancing technology through stuff like your folia materials, right? Through the what you guys have done, or through your microwave packaging—that's not a—that's not a—it's not connected to the Internet of Things. You know what I mean?
1: so so not everything is software and and remember that the the original the original revolution was the industrial revolution and the original telecom the 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 single biggest invention for telecom is the the telegraph wire because it's the right. first time you've got beyond horizon communication it's the telegraph wire right a- anytime you say like this is the biggest advancement, you're like no, no no the telegraph wire like all of a sudden we can talk thousands of miles apart there's not a single other invention that that's going to compete with like the telegraph wire and and look that's that's eighteen sixties to eighteen nineties, like mm-hmm. metals, like you a against the steel. But but look, the 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 key, the core part of that is there's technology and there's entrepreneurship and there's technology entrepreneurship. And and both of those are totally fine. You just have to be careful which of these things are we doing. Are we just using things? There's nothing wrong with taking stuff that everybody's using and saying, I can do a better job making a business using those things. That's entrepreneurship. So it's still entrepreneurship, but but tech, I'm a technologist, it turns out. You know, the whole, I've got a PhD and blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't think of it, but like, my, my wife, apparently, her Amazon account goes back to 1997. I was at one of the first eight universities that was on Facebook. I'm like, uh, first, whatever user of Facebook. It's just because my friends down the, down the hall were using it, but it turns out maybe not, right? Like, so there's the technologist piece and there's the entrepreneurship piece. And then we were in Silicon Valley in 2017. And so some of the stuff I'm telling you about is is actually what the professional people who were technologists and entrepreneurs, and all I'm doing is telling you what's was actually really accepted professional knowledge Mm -hmm. in the field of technology entrepreneurs. Right, right. I'm not saying anything new in any of this. I'm just saying that's that's apparently what what the smart people who do this professionally say to me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I think Jonathan, what I'm hearing you say, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm probably oversimplifying, but You know, you you could club entrepreneurs into two categories. And yeah, I'm, I'm definitely oversimplifying. There's entrepreneurs that end up finding, you know opportunities out there in the market to make something, you know, bigger and better like that. Those ideas kind of already existing, but they're building upon, you know, value. And then there's entrepreneurs that are, you know, finding new technologies and kind of bringing something to the world. That's completely innovative. And I, I would say almost net new, um, which you could debate. Would, would, is that kind of what you're highlighting at or, or not, not quite.
1: <laughs> there's a lot of things that qualifies entrepreneurship. The, sure. the the i think it's the majority like greater than 50% of entrepreneurs in the United States are franchisees and mm. own small restaurants or other shops yep they're franchise owners they're entrepreneurs they own their yeah. own business they are taking a risk that's absolutely entrepreneurship mm-hmm. my point is there's a lot of types of entrepreneurship and there's a lot of types of and then there's there's technology and then the reason uh, a startup usually has some sort of risk component and so one of those components didn't work out and that's okay Mm. if it's execution then okay then that might be on you and then the question is that could be fine it could be that somebody else paid for you to get some lessons and now go and make your next thing and take those lessons and, and learn a lot from it and that's okay too it could be that it was crowded it could be it was the idea it could be it was the technology it could be that technology in that market so so i'm mentoring somebody who's who's trying to they, they've created a, a way of geotagging and having solving the disinformation and misinformation problem for like war torn Syria, uh, Turkey after the earthquakes, and so citizen journalists can upload content where you know that it's authentic. You don't have somebody lying about being bombed in Syria. You know somebody. It's like no, 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 that's actually the earthquake in Turkey. Things like that, right? And it works. In, but 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 she had to walk away from it because making a business out of that, she went to all the media companies. She she talked to a number of very large name brand firms. And and they said no, and it's like, so she's beating herself up on it, and like, she didn't do anything wrong. She she executed. She talked to the people. She networked like hell. She, she built a product. She got people on the product. She got content onto the product. She got some very small sales, and she can't possibly make it sustainable because that market sucks, and, right. and that market didn't see it for that particular use case. And like, yeah, that's there's nothing wrong with that. That that's. The the hypothesis of a startup is that these things will be true. And some of the answers, 95% of the time, one of those things wasn't true. So it closes down.
0: You bring up a lot of thought provoking, uh, you know, concepts, ideas, whatever you want to categorize it as, and I just want to kind of get a a deeper take and maybe I should use a different word, but in your mind, Jonathan, how do you define the word innovation and then part two to that? Do you think that innovation is kind of stagnant, growing, or declining? And I know that's kind of a loaded question, but if you want to attempt to throw out some of your you know, expertise and even just personal opinions, we'd love to hear that.
1: So people usually think about technical innovation. Yep. Um, but, you know, business, business models and organizational models and how things work, <laughs> right uh salesforce he used to have protest marches saying get rid of application software have software as a service and so the invention of software as a service as a business model i mean okay it's it's a re- small recurring payment that's been done elsewhere uh, to take it full circle we now have people who go oh it's 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 platform as a service and so people we like what if you do manufacturing as a service or like that's called contract manufacturing it's been around for <laughs> right right <laughs> but anyway um so, so there's different kinds of innovation, right? We work in emerging market impact among a lot of other things, right? And so there's plenty of innovation where you're like, wow, that was a completely new way to structure that problem. And you you pulled a lot of different stakeholders under the same roof. Um, so so microfinance, where what they did was they, they got a circle of, say, 50 women. They all know each other. And now they can basically, the human trust of the group, the whole group is going to cover the loan. And really, the social factor and social pressure is going to mean that you are way more likely to pay back the loan. Hmm. All right. That's super innovative. Yep. That's, that's like, holy smokes, innovative. And we're talking about billions of, you know, hundreds of millions of people are, are getting financing through this. There's other people who, um, they have software uh, as part of a loan program where they can track where the cell phone goes. And it turns out there's a bunch of statistical factors that say if you show up two or three places with regularity uh, throughout a week, and if you make calls to a, a relatively small number of people frequently, it means you, you went home and you went to work. And it means that you had a, a stable social network of probably family, friends, and business associates. So we can, give, we, we, can, we can give you a loan now because we can give a credit score that says you've got a stable job and you've got a stable social life and another life. So all mm-hmm. of those are technology. And 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 some of those that's that's information technology. That second one, the first one would be social tech, social innovation. But like, mm-hmm. it's all innovation, and it's pretty cool mm-hmm. stuff. Um, I, I just love. I mean, I, I knew I knew once you got rolling, I just
0: I just knew you were gonna say some eye opening things. A lot of co- these concepts too, I just think are just calling out some uh, some you know misinterpreted things in our world that I think are great for our listeners. Um, One of the things I wanted to ask you, Jonathan, just kind of talking back on your entrepreneurial journey is what has been the, the toughest part of being an entrepreneur and building a business and, and, and what has been the biggest challenge? And then what has been the uh, most rewarding part of it? So kind of a two, two, two sided question there. Biggest challenge is financing
1: and resources. I mean, if, if you're doing something unusual, Then there's very few people who are doing that thing, right? That's kind of the deal, right? You can either be in a really crowded market, or you can be in the weird stuff. And so we, we're kind of dumb. We keep doing market creation. Um, A couple years into having the company, you know, like like when you look up these startup entrepreneurship, like first-time founder books, they're like, whatever you do, don't do something dumb like boil the ocean or take on a ridiculously giant. Like, don't try to like solve universal drinking water as your first company. you tell me <laughs> <laughs> it's like
0: okay let's bite, off the, let's bite off the biggest thing we can possibly bite off
1: but like literally I've read that in more than one book or or online <laughs> You're like, You're like oh that
0: was me raise my what? hand
1: <laughs> so um you know the, the hardest part is always the resourcing and the financing and like the sheer percentage of my time that I spend just just trying to get financing and and things of that nature trying to get resources um I mean, look, the flip side is uh, if you go to a giant well-resourced company, then then the amount of time spent on meetings and information and you you get the collective risk aversion of a large group of people. So if I get if I get 100 people, I can't possibly have all risk takers. I, I'm supposed to have some risk averse people. Mm. And so large organizations with many departments, you know, large corporations, large, large organizations. Right. It doesn't matter if it's the United Nations or, or if it's. Uh, you know, Facebook. Like, you're going to have some set of people who, who, who are risk averse, and so decisions become hard. And see, so those are just your trade offs, and mm-hmm. you know, is is what it is. But it's definitely the resourcing It's the as the artist bit.
0: Awesome, awesome. No, that that makes a lot of sense. And and did you did you just to kind of reiterate what is what do you think the most rewarding piece of it's been for
1: you? <laughs> So so apparently we're gonna be running TikTok ads in Bangladesh this month. Okay. <laughs> so, so when I started, uh we were like, hey, how do we get some social media ads? And like, you know, so we had done five hundred startups out in Silicon Valley, and so we we did digital marketing boot camp and we're like, only one problem. The consumers are not on digital they're not on <laughs> social media, right? Now you get stuff where people will forward Facebook stuff. Well, now you finally get to the point where like, you know. If somebody can magically for a fraction of a penny deliver a, a customer who wants to pay and who's been educated to your physical store, right? They'll mm-hmm. pay for that. Procter and Gamble is still one of the number one advertisers in the in the country, right? So it's Coca-Cola, right? Yep. But by the way, at the bottom of the tech stack, you, you know who pays Google and Facebook's bills? It's Coca-Cola and Pepsi. And- procter and gamble they're the ones who pay for the advertising. right 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 remember how they're media companies they're social media companies well the consumer goods companies pay for all of that <laughs> so like we're finally at that point where it's like look we're in 2,000 stores in bangladesh what we want to see is you know we want to get it to a billion people which will require there'll be an acquisition to somebody giant to get it there but but we're seeing all of that built out and so every so often you look around and you're like that was pretty cool. I, something over there happened because because I have a you know we have the subsidiary with a staff of ten in Bangladesh and so we industrially manufacture here things go there it gets made into a package it gets on the store shelf somebody does a good job advertising it in a way that you know we've got a celebrity doctor and and, and I wouldn't know to do any of this stuff right and it's all being done and it's being done really professionally and I'm like wow we've got a television commercial that looks really cool and and they have microgrids so they're a thousand people you pay for a television advertisement for 1000 people that live in this unbelievably tiny geography. Right. I was like, cause I was like, why do we have television? We're a startup. Like that's a waste of money. They're like, no, no, no. A thousand people are going to see that and they all live within like a couple hundred meters of where the store is. And you're like, Whoa, cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> hilarious. Like wherever Bangladesh, you're just like, Holy crap. Like imagine if your podcast was only, if you could get a thousand people, but all of them live within a five, a, a ten minute drive of where you're sitting right now, and that'd that would be nuts. A thousand people would be would see that. You're like, wow, <laughs> we leave, like see at the coffee shop. Right, right,
0: right. That's fascinating. We'd be so famous, though, too. If we had like a thousand people within ten minutes here, dude, we would be able to leave the house. Okay, like everybody knows us. <laughs> <laughs> I got a, uh, a future facing question here for you, and we kind of ask a lot of our entrepreneurs that we bring on this question. Where do you see yourself in Fola um, in about five years? Like you can answer that personally or professionally, there's no right or wrong answer, but we like to, you know, see how people think into the future and kind of do it in five year increments.
1: Five years is interesting because it's just far enough out that you might've exited and moved on to your next thing, but it's not far enough out that, you know, that would have happened.
0: So it's... Um, I'm gonna jump in. Sorry to interrupt you. You want to uh, plan for an exit? You want you want to sell? Is that what I'm hearing? The,
1: the only way to reach global national scale stuff is that you're 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 pretty unlikely to scale it. You're pretty likely to to somebody who's really big. Sure. So like the food packaging, I'd love to sell off to a packaging
0: company. Mm. So you guys
1: have a bunch of packaging companies in Cincinnati. I will probably see you this year. I'd love to get a coffee or a beer, dude. Absolutely. In all seriousness, you have some $10 billion packaging companies Mm -hmm. that could take it and like, they could resource it. They could, they could develop it over years. They could, you know, the original invention for the plastic susceptor was like 1978 Pillsbury and like 1982 James River Paper Mill in Wisconsin that's now owned by, you know, Georgia Pacific. And then it got sold to these guys. And then 40 years later, it's a billion dollar product, that one packed invention, right? So it's like, I don't want to be around 40 years from now. Like, you know, like- so, so I'd love to sell that to one of those companies. And, and then the water filter ultimately needs to be, you know, Procter and Gamble got out of the water business uh, as I now know from having lived there. Uh, but, you know, like Unilever Procter, you know, uh, Reckitt, you know, GlaxoSmithKline, somebody like that. So, yeah, I mean, the the goal is to, to sell it to a company that can go from one corner of the world for these products to to take it international for any of these things, yeah, which right. like, look, we're, we're, we're material scientists uh, combined into either global paper pollution, paper plastic solution, or, or into a public health solution. Like the goal is to make these things global solutions, right? The goal is not something in, in uh, we, we, we deal at industrial cargo container scale and we don't deal with anything less. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't get out of bed for, for, for a few plastic straws, right? Wake me when it's, it's cargo containers and then, okay, cool. You know, <laughs> Uh, quarter containers a, a week you know
0: keeping this uh manifestation or hypothetical going would you prefer that you have a complete exit or would you still like to be involved uh with your company i guess um, at the time it wouldn't be your company any longer but <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, look, with with category creation of some of this stuff you figure probably you end up getting pulled in anyway that's probably it's probably not realistic uh at least for the water filter but yeah but you know, I'm agnostic that once things get far enough along, one of the things that, that you know, when you talk to founders who've exited or who further enough along, one of the, the great joys is that other people take over all those roles, they do a better job, mm. right? I'm not the only, you know, like I said, we, we've got a CEO of Fully Water Global. and That's awesome because he knows he's got 20 years of fast moving consumer goods and grocery retail and he knows more about that sector in his, in his pinky than I do, mm. right? <laughs> you know, like I don't need to do that. And then in terms of the inventing, I mean, my, my wife's our CTO and does the inventing, but like if we could have a bunch of paper and coding engineers and whatever, like great, somebody else could take it. My my PhD was uh billion ton scale CO2 disposal underneath deep sea sediments where the CO2 goes down up and is separated away from the deep ocean. So my 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 company will be carbon sequestration. This is my wife's company. Wow. Okay. Wow. <laughs> so so you know the idea of pulling CO2 out of the atmosphere? And shoving into rocks, yeah, those were invented by my PhD advisor. And then putting what the salts was my other PhD advisors? They were working with like the Ophiolites and the the Icelanders. So, you know, I'm a carbon sequestration guy, but nobody cared about carbon sequestration until very recently. There was zero dollars in it. So, you know, so is that your passion? Would that be your passion? Um, well, uh, water, water, and uh, water and clean energy. Um, my my PhD was desalination on the back of pickup trucks in rural Africa, and then uh, grid scale thermal energy batteries, and then CO two disposal underneath deep sea sediments. But, wow. but what I realized was uh, I had to understand. I figured, look, if you invent something that costs you know ninety percent less than whatever's being done now, the greedy capitalists will figure it out, right? Right, right. Well, but that's not true. The market's broken. There, there's no such thing as a consumer good water filter for twenty cents, and and then the innovative. You know, the innovative American companies are, you know, consumer goods doesn't really have much innovation. So how are you going to launch this new category and who's going to make that happen? So we have to form a company ourselves to 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 show what that looks like. That's it's awesome.
0: It's incredible. There's like so much stuff you say that I'm just like a lot of it. I'm like, yeah, I get that. And then like when you started getting to like what your PhD was, I was like, I, I think I'm smart. And I'm just like, I'm trying to follow here. But like, holy shit. <laughs> Like
1: oh, dude. Like, I'm not gonna act like a, I right?
0: know everything. Like, you're a very know, smart like, guy. Oh, so He goes, so a CO2, and I'm
1: like, what the hell? Look, is look, it so, like? so the rule of thumb at at Columbia was if it's not gonna be 100 million people, or a billion people, or or 100 million or billion tons of CO2, Columbia is an engineering school in New York City, which is like this total paradox in terms. Right. I mean, you you you've seen. Uh, I've got friends at the Ohio State University now, right? And it It's massive. Like Ohio State is a small uh, size of a small town. Mm-hmm. So so Columbia, you get like two floors of space, right? Two office office building. Floor. So you got to be like bleeding edge because the moment you're at. So so the idea is like aim high and if you miss, okay, you know you get you get ten million people. Like okay, Dude. okay, but, like, I'm just come- like aim high. Like you got to aim high. If you don't aim high and then miss, like. You know, I got yeah, to yeah. say something
0: to that because I love that. And we're getting a little bit close on time, so I think we might hit some quick hitters. But I, I think that comment just kind of made – I just wrapped this, this up so beautifully because it, to me, encompasses your whole journey is aim high. Aim high and have big, big, big dreams. Uh, I'm reading this book right now called 10X is Easier Than 2X, and it's literally about – like one of the first parts of the book – It's written by Dan Sullivan. Uh, Well, he's like one of the contributors, Um, and the other guy's got a PhD in psychology. He's done a lot of different stuff, Um, and I've actually got through the first two chapters. But one of the quotes he calls out one of the one of the sections is about aiming shoot for the stars, or shoot for the stars if you land on the moon. You've got you've gotten further than you were right and. I truly, truly, truly believe that you have to have that that big, big, big grand mindset to be able, it's a lot easier to go, and this is one of the concepts, and I think this is what you're getting at, is a lot, I think, easier from a focus standpoint to go, oh, if I want to get all the way out there, there's only a few avenues that get me there. But if I only want to go to the other side of the room, there's a lot of ways I can get to the other side of the room, right? There's a million different ways to get there. But if I want to go from here, and I want to go all the way, you know, I want to go 50 yards down the street.
1: Everybody wanted us to take the antimicrobial paper and put it inside of somebody else's appliance. Okay. We didn't know all the formalisms at the time. Now I know the formalisms. The formalism is the bill of materials and the cost, the the manufacturing cost of the product, like a few percent of it was the membrane. Most of it's the other stuff. Most of it's the the stuff that holds the water filter. The water filter itself wasn't, wasn't much of the overall cost. So- you haven't changed the, the retail price point more than a few percent. You haven't really changed things that much. And so when you, I didn't know the formalism, but that's what it is, right? When you want to go from something that costs tens of dollars to pennies, you now have to rethink everything. And you have to rethink your distribution. You have to rethink your sales model. You have to rethink your manufacturing, the physical holders. So what we do is, is that the, the low-income guy doesn't have to have the container on top of the container underneath. It's, they're already in their house. We don't ask them to go get a special container because that's that's an appliance purchase just for the plastic pieces. But to everybody else, the plastic pieces were already going to require a loan and financing. And, and ask yourself this, how many refrigerators and stoves have you bought this year? And right, when you God. go to make a $300 or a $500 purchase, you kind of go like, oh, it's going to be $500. dollars i want to look into this thing. I'm not sure. Do they have like a payment plan? Like, eh, you know, well, it's the same thing. People are the psychology that's true everywhere. So we realized we had to rethink everything in selling a water filter for pennies. Now, right now, what we're doing is we're educating the, the packaging world about food quality because our microwave food packaging improves food quality. Mm. It's not on the list of work, of jobs to be done by a packaging engineer. Right, right. They're asked about structural stuff. They're asked about shipping. They're asked about, did it get, did it get there? Did it look nice? Did it have this, these very technical, functional performance and are packaging functionalities? They didn't ask, did it make the food better? because that's the job of the of the culinary guy. That's the job of the food guy. Right. Right. And so we're having to connect these dots and rethink things because the goal was this. Well, wait a minute. The industry didn't have didn't think about it that way. And so we we have to end up going back to like systems thinking and um uh yeah. I mean uh, there there's a book called uh Think Bigger. I think it is. And it talks about like bird's eye uh, Charles Birdseye invented flash frozen food, as well as the refrigerators, as well as the trucks, as well as the glass door for the frozen food, you know, Birdseye. I just yeah. thought it was a dumb brand. It turns out that it was like <laughs> bird's eye. Like, I love it. I <laughs> it love is it. The whole supply chain. He had to rethink.
0: Yeah. I love it. I love it. Do you want to wrap up with some quick hitters? <laughs> you do the quick hitters. You're better at those. I'm not good at the quick hitters, Jonathan. I, I, I try a quick hitter usually. And then I ended up like asking seven more questions that aren't quick hitters at all. So, so yeah, we, we try to break up our, uh, our interviews into kind of like three sections and the last section here is just rapid fire questions. Uh, they're usually sometimes silly questions. Um, but we definitely want to have you back on for a deeper dive. And as you mentioned, if you're in Cincinnati here coming up later on this year, we'll definitely have to grab a uh, coffee or a bite and catch up. But, uh, We'll just uh, start off with, do you prefer a day or night?
1: Day, these days.
0: All right. These days. So there was a time when you preferred night. It changed. Kind of like Batman. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, feel like, yeah I, well, I can see it. What, 20s versus versus now I've got a, uh, an almost four-year-old, so. Holy smokes. Congrats, by the
0: way. Well, I guess, four, but congratulations. That's awesome. Congrats. Yeah. Is it
1: boy or girl? If I don't mind me
0: asking. Cool. Little boy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, that's fun. Super fun. By the way, I I know I do this. Can you try your best Batman voice for me? Because I mentioned it.
1: Can you worry. do it? Are you gonna do it or no? He just he just started with his like his his Batman stuff. But but you have to realize that when we watch Batman, so we just started this week watching Batman. Okay. But the Batman we watch is the one that's that's for the seven year olds from like right, right right. Right? So so Batman's voice is very different than like the the whole, oh, that guy, you know,
0: there it is. Uh, matters. I, gotta, I gotta do my bane. Hold on, what is it? Yeah, what
1: we'll, is let's name? go to Rheingeist. next time I the dog. <laughs> we'll go to Reingeist. I like <laughs> the beer. Yeah, yeah. Yes.
0: <laughs> yes, that was awesome. All right. I needed it. I needed it. Okay, sorry. Back well, to s- you. well speaking, of, speaking of Batman, then do you have a uh, favorite uh, Batman series or Batman? I know that might be a tough question to answer too.
1: Oh, these days the one my my almost four year old likes.
0: Okay, all right.
1: It, I would have this, to, dude, you gotta continue. I like, I like the Christopher Nolan series though. Mm, that's oh, good. Bird, Bird, Birdman. Okay, yeah. Birdman is the best Batman movie of all time. Okay, all right. Far Fair. away. You, you've seen it?
0: Uh, I'm terrible with movies. I want to say I have, but I don't entirely Birdman like. I could watch the movie. Last is night.
1: Michael Keaton. Birdman is Michael Keaton playing Michael Keaton, who used to be Batman. After Batman, now is a billion dollar bestseller.
0: I have seen inside that.
1: of a play where Michael Keaton is playing the, the that character I just told you.
0: That is super confusing. <laughs> it's
1: sick. I almost what? got a watcher. I mean, it was amazing. There's night. It's like you know, Batman's famous now, and he's like, <laughs> "I was nobody. There was nobody. No one cares about me."
0: <laughs> I had a super stressful day, so that's what I need. That's what I'm watching tonight. There you go. That's what I'm watching tonight. Do you prefer the the beach or the mountains? Oh, that's why we moved to Boston. You don't have to choose. That's an answer. Okay. I got one last one. Do you prefer
1: heat, hot, or cold? I prefer being outdoors. Okay. There's good things to be done in both. I mean, I'd say, sort of in general, uh, you know, there's good outdoors. What's
0: your favorite? Like if you had to pick, this is the last one. If you had to pick your like most pristine like day, right? What would, like what would the weather be like? Like what is a perfect day to Jonathan?
1: So so a perfect day is, uh, can be sunny snowshoeing through like a foot of snow. It could be, it could be uh, on the beach with, with my three-year-old. They're Ooh. both a perfect day. but 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 the key part here is in both have them outdoors. <laughs> yes.
0: And it's sunny. <laughs> I really love really the snow with the sun. Because I think we, I love snow. But I like, you know, and then we'll wrap up. But I cannot stand snow with gray. I like, like if you got to Denver or like Aspen or like out there, it's like you can get, in, you know, three feet of snow. But the sun's shining. So you're, oh, this is great. But then you were here in Cincinnati mm-hmm. the last two weeks, I think it's been. I looked at a man. I tried to open all our windows in our house. And I'm like. Let's get yep. some sunlight in here. And I'm just like, it's gray light. Like it's not sun, like, like, you, like it's, it's in, coming
1: through, but it's not sunny. I, I've spent 10 years of my life living in Pittsburgh and that was the, Oh point. yeah. You get it. Then. <laughs> That's great. You get that, it. You that, Pittsburgh has forests in the middle of Pittsburgh. So in my backyard was a two square, it was a two by two mile forest. Wow. And I lived in the I Middle of Pittsburgh. And so I used to go snowshoeing in the, the, the forest is right there, right? It's squirrel Hill and, and Regent square of that area. And so like, You've got this giant ravine in the middle of this forest. I used to go hiking everywhere. Every single day after work, I would go for like an hour-long hike in my backyard. Well, with snowshoes, you can go up and down stuff that's crazy steep. So mm-hmm. I just fled down the hill sitting on the back of my snowshoes. Dude, that's wild. That's wild. <laughs> but I, love I could it. stand the gray, and I got a blue light over there that I highly recommend.
0: Nice. Love it. Okay, a sorry. I and know it's a I... blue light hole. Hayden gets really upset when I steal his thunder. Um, that was my question that, I was going to ask. Last time, me, last time I did that, I got a call afterwards. So I'm sure I'll probably get a talking to him. But uh. we'll let it slide tonight. <laughs> but in all seriousness, we appreciate you coming on, Jonathan. Uh, we've learned a ton from you. And seriously, we would love to catch up if you're in town and definitely would like to have you back on sometime in the future too. Uh, so folks listening, check out of Materials. Uh, this is Jonathan's company uh, that he's started. They've been around since 2016. They're doing remarkable things, uh, making the world a safer, cleaner, and healthier place to be. Uh, you can check them out at fullofmaterials.com. Um, they have a, quite an impressive LinkedIn following as well. I think there are over 3,000 followers. See, I knew I'd find a way to plug that. I was told to do so, Jonathan. And Don, thank you, Don.
1: Yes, nice work. Well was that, that was good, right, Don? Shout it's all, out. It's all done, Mike. My EA has single handedly, like, God, his massive social media following. It's like, I'm, crushing not, I'm not going to need these things. So it's amazing.
0: <laughs> we need to connect with them. Yeah. Love it, man. Love it. Well, again, <laughs> thanks again for coming on. And uh, we will connect soon. Thank you, Jonathan. You're the man. Enjoy your night. I know we took some time away. So I appreciate you. Yes. Thank you.